Good morning uh, to you all. My name's Matt. It's great to be here. It's great to see you all here. Um, for the last uh, couple of months, I think we've taken some time to uh, respond and have a look at some of the main themes in a really important book of the Bible, the book of Romans in the New Testament. It's a great book because it really deals with some of the, the real core elements of the Christian faith. It begins, one of the key questions, and, and we've entitled this series, Big Questions. Um, one of the big questions that this book answers is, how am I made right? How, how can I be made right? And that's kind of where we started. That was the question with, where we, that we started with. Well, there are two aspects to this, really. There's, there's what I'm going to refer to as a, as, a, as a change of position that's needed, a kind of change of status, you know, that this is the first thing that God wants to deal with. This is why God came to us in Jesus Christ and suffered and died on a cross, to actually pay in our place for our guilt so that we could be forgiven, completely exonerated. And so we could come back to God and be embraced and receive God's favour unconditionally. That is the amazing grace of God. That's a change of position. And then God fills us with His Spirit. As that happens, God fills us with His Spirit and then God actually wants to change our condition. You see, your, your position with God, it doesn't, it doesn't change because no matter what, how, how bad you think your condition is, because we were all made right with God despite what condition we were in. But God does actually want to transform our lives. And this morning, I'm going to talk to a very key element of that transformation that God wants to bring about in our lives. Paul says in, uh, and, and we're gonna start in Romans chapter 12, and this is really after having talked about all of the amazing stuff that Jesus Christ has done for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse one, this is, this, this is the so what, well now what, okay? And there's a sense of anticipation. All this has happened, so now what? And he says in Romans 12:1, therefore, in the light of all that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, okay, in view of everything that I've told you about so far, about what Jesus has done for us and what that means in terms of this complete change of status. He says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. I love this because there's a sense of anticipation in that, like the now what, right? Therefore, in view of, of everything that God's done, right now what? Let's, you know, you, you sort of lean into this. Therefore, right now, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Oh my goodness. Like that's a bit, off, like a, a sac, the thing about sacrifices, and there's a, there's a big background in the Old Testament, particularly for Jewish people at this time. There's a real background to this idea of sacrifice, right? Now, one of the things about sacrifices is that they were sort of, well, killed. So, so like, with all, you come with all of this anticipation, therefore offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the interesting thing about the sacrifices, though, 
in the symbolism of the sacrifices that were practiced, and they were symbols, right? They would, uh, they would bring these animal sacrifices and they would, uh, they would place them on the altar. And it was essentially a picture of what worship is, a picture of what God wants to do in our lives, right? It's a picture of, of human beings giving themselves over to God fully, right? This is essentially what Paul is saying, right? Jesus has paid for you. And now, as I often say, now he wants to get what he paid for, which is you, right? So give yourself completely to God. That's essentially what he's saying. But there's something inside this symbolism of the sacrifice that's important here for us to recognize. Because see, um, those of us who are familiar with this idea of sacrifices, you just think, well, the animal is brought and the animal's killed and put on the altar and that's it. No, no, that's actually not even the most important part. Within the symbolism of the sacrifice was not only death, but resurrection built into the symbolism. Because what the way that they saw it is that when you put the animal on the altar and it's burnt up, it becomes smoke going up to heaven, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. I mean, it probably wasn't very pleasing uh, aroma in a literal sense. But the idea here is that, that as it's when something is put on the altar, it is transformed. It's transformed completely. So in the symbolism of the sacrifice, it's not just death, no, even more importantly, it was always saying death, resurrection, death, resurrection. And so it's pointing to the pathway that God wants us to take, a pathway of death and resurrection, a pathway that was most significantly fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who not only died, but as we celebrated just last week, rose again from the dead. That is the trajectory of the Christian life. It's what was symbolized then. It's what Jesus Christ declared in his death and resurrection. And it's what he says when he says, okay, now that I've done this, now take up your cross and follow me. And you think, wait, hang on a minute. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Essentially, and this is what I'm gonna focus on today. Essentially, what God wants to put to death, if I may use that term, is a kind of false you. One of the great things that's gonna happen as you allow God to do what He wants to do as you cooperate with God is you're gonna meet someone. You are gonna meet the true you. Al, let me introduce you to Al. I mean the real one, right? (laughs) Not the one that we create, but the real one. You see, there is this deep, deep propensity in human nature. It's a result of us being cut off from our identity-affirming relationship with God. We are defined in the most essential sense by our relationship with God. Human beings are children of God, we are children of God. And that also speaks to our deepest need, the need for the love and the glory of God, right? Now, when human beings cut themselves off from God, it's interesting that interesting, the temptation was a subtle one. The story is told in Genesis chapter three 
which speaks of the fall of human beings away from God. And the temptation is kind of the same temptation. It's the, it's the same terrible thing that we're constantly tempted into. Satan said to the first human beings, come away from God, come away from God's purpose because then you will be like God. You will be like God. That was the temptation. Now, there's a subtle twist in this, isn't there? Because human beings were actually created in God's likeness, weren't they? So it sounds like Satan is tempting them with something that they already had, which is true, except this is the difference. What they were being tempted with was that instead of drawing their identity from their relationship with God and being a relational identity, no, you're gonna come and create your own independent identity. And so human beings were cut off from God and at the deepest, in the deepest, darkest depths of our hearts, we are compulsive identity builders. Compulsive. It's one of the deepest compulsions of human nature. I'm gonna furiously weave my, you know, weave an identity for myself. And the problem with this is that the identity that we weave, it blocks out reality. It's like a mask. It's like a cocoon that we become entrapped in and we suffocate. The real you is under there somewhere. But this compulsion is that we layer and layer and layer over this in this desperate attempt to create an identity for ourselves because we we are in so, such deep need of this. And what God wants to do is that he wants to save you from that. He wants to recover the real you. See, because I don't know if you've ever felt like there's something blocking. You know, it's like there's something blocking. There's something in the way between me and God. Well, let me tell you, since what Jesus has done, it's nothing on God's side. God has done everything that he can do to reconcile you to him. Paul says in Romans chapter eight, to go back a little bit in from verse 38, he says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in the way, right? There is nothing in the way from God's perspective. The only blocker therefore will be you. Not the real you, but a false you. Because what God wants to recover in there somewhere behind the layers is the real child of God. And God is after that child. I'm telling you, God is after that child. Let me use an illustration. You know, human beings, and I think it's important that we recognize this about ourselves, human beings are absolutely sacred. We are children of God. We were created 
to be containers of the glory of God, to reflect the glory of God. We are sacred temples of the Holy Spirit. This is, we, we ju- you just need to get that because everything our culture makes us believe to the contrary. There is nothing sacred in our culture. Human beings are treated like objects, obstacles, objects of desire maybe. And so we repeatedly desecrate what is sacred, repeatedly desecrate what is sacred. But our culture doesn't acknowledge, gives it lots of other names. But essentially that is what is happening, what we do to ourselves, what we do to each other, is that we essentially, in the way, in treating each other like objects or obstacles or objects of desire, we're essentially desecrating what is absolutely sacred and of infinite worth and value. Temples of the Holy Spirit created to reflect God's glory. We are, in other words, and this is my illustration, we are like diamonds. We're like diamonds. Let me tell you a few things about diamonds. Diamonds are often, you know, heralded as being one of the most beautiful things in the world. Beautiful diamonds. You know, every diamond is absolutely unique. Every diamond has its own subtle coloration, very subtle. Every diamond has its own cut, its own unique shape. But the glory, the real glory of diamonds, the real beauty of a diamond actually comes from the way it reflects the light. Because see, diamonds are mostly transparent. Diamonds are mostly transparent. The beauty that they exude comes from the way they absorb and reflect the light. It's the same light, but through each diamond, it is uniquely reflected and it becomes so, so beautiful. That's what we as human beings essentially are like. We are like diamonds and our glory is the glory of God, the light, who want, we were created to absorb, to contain and reflect the glory of God. You know, we long for glory. We long. In fact, this is one of the deepest longings that we have, is the longing for glory. Whatever else you think you're after, There is nothing like the glory of God. We long for glory. Unfortunately, however, what we've been tempted into doing is creating our own glory. This is the essence of pride at its its root, right? The essence of pride is the desire not to be a reflector of God's glory, but to create our own glory. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 115 says, not to us, Lord, not to us but to your name be all the glory. We long for that glory. We long for it. We are like diamonds created to reflect the glory of God. But here's the thing. This is what we have done essentially. What we try to do rather than reflecting God's glory, as I've said, is create our own glory. You know what it's like? It's like 
imagine a diamond, a beautiful big diamond. Essentially what we've done is that we've painted over the diamond. Imagine that. A beautiful priceless diamond. And because we cut ourselves off from the light, so we lost the glory, but we still long for identity and we still long for glory. Of course we do, because we were created for glory, right? We still long for glory, so guess what we do? We try to We try to create glory for ourselves rather than the diamond reflecting all of those beautiful colours. We just try to paint them on. Now, some people give this a red hot go and they absolutely fail. And they feel hopeless and they feel worthless and they feel like nothing. I'm not, you know, which is the ultimate tragedy because underneath it, you are a sacred, precious diamond of infinite value. Then there are other people who actually do a pretty good job. Put some layers on. That's looking pretty good. They feel like they've succeeded. The problem is, is that you never get to a point where you actually receive the glory that you really long for. It's like, man, you paint on something really good. You, you just paint something over that diamond that just looks, looks great. You kind of feel that you've succeeded. But deep down, you know it's not the glory. But you know what we do? When we deep down, we know it's not, this is, I'm not there yet, I haven't, this isn't, this isn't the glory that my heart longs for. Guess what we do? We just paint more layers. We just keep trying and we paint more and more and more layers over the top. And the precious diamond is lost under all of those layers. Now let me tell you something else tragic. What a lot of Christians do is that they think, right, I'm gonna be a Christian now, so I'll, I'll paint a Christian layer over the top of the diamond. Doing good now, because we, we all think, you know, we've gotta, like, we've kinda gotta do this, right? We've gotta, we've gotta, we've kinda gotta be Christian, but because we're compulsively build, builders, we're compulsive builders of our own identity, we just translate in, that into the Christian life. Oh, oh, so now I'm gonna make myself into a good Christian. How's it going with that? Not easy, is it? I mean, yeah, not so easy, that one. No, this is why we need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices on God's altar. You know the altar upon which God wants us to put ourselves? It's kind of like a, a workbench upon which God is gonna start to chip away at the layers of paint. Because God wants to get to the diamond underneath. He wants to get to the diamond. So there is a false self. Under all of that is a false, sorry, over, all, over this beautiful precious time is this false self and God is going to chip away. This is important because it, it's gonna help you to understand what God is gonna do in your life. And it's the most wonderful thing that God does. Salvation isn't just something that happens once for all at the start of 
when we first become Christians. It is a once for all thing in that our position has changed. But you know, salvation is something that you need all the time. God not only saved you, but he's saving you in the sense that he's stripping back the layers of the false self because he loves what is underneath. Because he is so zealous for what is underneath there. Every single person in this room is a diamond of God under layers of paint. Whether you like what you've painted over the top or whether you absolutely deplore what you've painted over the top, don't lose hope because underneath it is a glorious, glorious diamond, a sacred reflector of the glory of God. Sometimes we're in circumstances that are something like a kind of acid bath. Ever felt like there's, you know, and let me, let me just be clear here. They're not, when, when we're in these terrible circumstances, like it's not like, oh, God has caused these, circ- no, no. The world is in an absolute mess. People do really bad things and it's just bad. But the promise of Romans 8.28 is that in all things, God works for the good of those who love. Even things that God deplores, circumstances that God deplores, he will bring about something wonderful. Think about what happened to Jesus. Never, as we said on Good Friday, there was never a time when, when human evil was more manifest as it was on, was on that first Good Friday. God did not want people to do that. And yet, in the magnificent purpose of God and sovereignty of God, that death became a pathway to life. And this is not just what God did then. He's doing it all the time. Every death is a pathway, potential pathway. Every death. Do you feel like you have died? There is an opportunity there for you to live again. The Christian life is a long, one long process of dying to what is false and coming alive to what is real. So next time someone says, how are you going? Say, oh, great. Yeah, I'm dying. It's going great. Because you are a sacred diamond. So whatever else is happening in your life, whatever else you're trying to do in life, it's what God is doing that is the most important thing. You are so, so sacred to God. Some people think that God is avoiding them. You couldn't avoid God if you tried because you are so precious and so sacred to God. He is after you. You've got to know this, that He is after you. You, you may not see it because you're entrapped. You may feel like, you're, you're, it's, like it's all kind of blocked out. The light's blocked out. God didn't block out the light. You did. But God will save us from that. All of us. We all do this but you are so, so precious to God that he is absolutely after you. You could not avoid God if you tried. The psalmist says, if I go, you know, if I go, up, to, go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings, if I settle upon the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He says, you can't get away. He's after you. God is after you. I wonder if you felt some chipping happening, a bit of chipping. God's after you. And God says, put yourself in my hands. This is why we need to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Because there is something about you that is just so sacred and unique. The paint, all the paint stuff, that's just the same old patterns. It's the same old patterns of this world. In fact, that's what Paul goes on to say next. He says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Essentially saying, stop painting the same old patterns. God said, I don't like those patterns. They're boring. You are unique. Stop painting the same old rubbish over the top. That might look good to the people around you, but God says, but I want the diamond because I am gonna be the pattern of your life. Like you just wait, you want a pattern, you want glory, then you let God chip away the diamond and you will understand what glory is because it will not just be something out there, it'll be something that you exude. That's what God is doing. So let's put ourselves on the workbench of the Holy Spirit. Say, come Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's, it's, I think we, we're not even quite sure what we mean when we say, come Holy Spirit. It's always better than you think. So why don't we stand and ask God and say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we, wanna, we want diamonds, Lord. We want diamonds, Lord. Father, make us into diamonds, Lord. Lord, you say whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, there's a whole lot of people here who need some saving. Father, we, we lift our hands to you, Lord, that you would save us, Lord. Save us from all that is false, Lord. Save us from our false selves. Lord, recover the diamonds again that we might be transparent reflectors of the glory of God. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves into your loving hands. How you love us. How precious are we to you that you would come to us in Jesus Christ to suffer and die on a cross, to redeem us. How precious are we to you. And so, Lord, we put these diamonds back in your hands. Father in heaven, that we would contain and reflect your glory again. Bless you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord.